Hey homies, it's Michelle Bennett, graphic designer, turn marketer, turn interior decorator, and apparently now podcast host. That's right, peeps. I selfishly started a podcast so that I would have an excuse to pick the brains of designers, decorators, and industry experts so that I can get to the next level. And the best part is you guys are coming with me. All right, guys, I'm here today with Amanda Evans of Amanda Evans Interiors, who's based in Vancouver, BC. She launched her business in 2009, which means she's coming up on a 10-year anniversary in, in a year from now, so that's very exciting. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. First of all, I'm going to share with the group, I'm going to share with the listeners a little later how I even found you and why I reached out to you. Uh, I'm pretty pumped to share the story. But of before we get to that, why don't you tell me a little bit about and tell the listeners a little bit about you and a little bit about your business? Sure. Um, so yeah, we're located in actually North Vancouver, BC, um, and we are a small design firm that focuses mostly on high-end residential design. So we do a lot of new construction, um, a couple of renovations a year, and then we're just getting into more decorating projects as well. Cool. Well, I'm going to talk to you a little more about that. For sure. Uh, <laughs> and um, so it's been 10 years, and is this your first career? Yes. Okay. And did you go to school? I did. I went to BCIT. So that's a really great design school here in Vancouver. And were you, did you graduate and just launch your business or did you work in a firm before that? Uh, no, I actually did work in another firm for about two years. Um, and it went under in 2008, which I think a lot of businesses around here did and all, all over the country. Um, so I, I was working there for about two years. I, I gained quite a bit of experience, uh, which was great. Uh, I learned a lot about what not to do uh, running a business. And, and then from there, like once every, I mean, myself and a lot of my design, designer friends, we got laid off and uh, ended up starting my own business uh, in 2009. And then from there, like I, I worked on my business, but then I also did a lot of contract work on the side with other designers just to get more experience. Mm -hmm. Um, just because I think it's pretty crucial to have like actual working experience before you start a company, like fresh out of school can be quite intimidating. Um, so yeah, I, I, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Uh, so I worked for, uh, for a couple different designers for a couple of years. And then once I started getting busy enough on my own, then I, I stopped doing contract work. Okay. So you said something that I want to ask more about when you were working two years, um, in the firm, you said you learned a lot about what not to do. Mm -hmm. Can you share with us a few of those things that you learned that were the, (laughs) the biggest thing was lack of communication. Um, I think that we, uh, didn't talk to the clients enough about what was happening. Uh, the expectations weren't met from what I remember. Mind you, this was a while ago, so it's Mm -hmm. hard for me to remember, but, um, I mean, we had some fun projects we worked on for sure, but I think a lot of it came down to clients, us not explaining our process enough and clients, um, uh, yeah, just their expectations weren't met. Mm Mm-hmm. So it ended in a lot of like angry people, which isn't fun. (laughs) No, it sure isn't. (laughs) So what, what would you say then with that, 
having learned that, what do you do on the communication side that's maybe um, very process-driven that every client would, would receive in order to improve that? I would say like, especially over the last couple of years and especially in the last year or so, I've really tried to like focus on what it is, the, the sorry, focus on like the design process itself and break that down into phases and put it into an actual document that I now give my clients when I first meet them. I mean, that's probably something I should have done 10 years ago, but mm-hmm. um, live and learn. And uh, I think that that really helps people expect, okay, it's going to take like, you know, three weeks for, for the team to put together a concept. And then it's going to take eight weeks for us to design the full house. And then it's going to take another four weeks. So at least people like, you know, you communicate your timeline, you communicate the costs, you communicate what to expect. Um, another thing that I've started talking to about clients in the initial like intake is that on every single project we work on, something will go wrong. Yeah. Whether that's, um, you know, something gets delivered damaged, something gets backordered, a price gets increased before it's, the order is placed. So things happen. And I think by like telling your clients at the get-go that stuff will happen, but you're going to do your very best to um, to fix the problem as but like to your, the, your best ability, I think that kind of puts people at ease. Whereas if you don't communicate those issues uh, and then they find out like down the road or, you know, it ends up getting a little bit out of control, then, then you're not meeting your client's expectations and then they have every right to get annoyed or frustrated or angry. Right. And okay. So we are going a little bit off topic right now, which I'm super into. So we're going to keep going. <laughs> I find this to be a very interesting topic, which is very relevant to my current life. So, um, do you find, first of all, like this is one of the things I am trying to do too, is really be transparent in my processes mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, talking about, like you said, you know, things that are going to go wrong, but I also feel like it's just a lot coming out of clients. So how do you, or like, do you, how do you organize yourself, you know, or, or your designers, um, your, the people that work for you in a way to communicate that so that a, it doesn't overwhelm the client. And so that you remember all the things that you need to say verbally, or is it a lot of this stuff is said in written form? Uh, it's a bit of both. So I would say in the beginning when I'm doing like the proposal and kind of courting the client, I give them that design process handout. Uh, so then they can see kind of what's involved. Cause a lot of people just don't, they have either never worked with a designer before or they've worked with someone else. So they don't know what your particular process is. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like, actually like the rules of what we do, our boundaries, um, and talking about like mistakes and stuff that happens and back orders and damage and all that. I talk about that during the, the contract walkthrough. So I sit down with my clients. I learned that from Kimberly Selden, uh, her bod- her podcast and, and her books is like, you yeah. sit down and you go through the contract line by line. Um, and that's kind of where I like, will go off and tell a story of like, okay, you know, on this previous project, one that's similar to yours, we, ordered a sofa and, you know, X, Y, Z went wrong or something like that, but this is how we fixed it. So people know that like you're human, the people you're working with are human, things happen. Um, but I think it's just a matter of like setting up those expectations. Mm -hmm. Then it it really helps them kind of like almost brace themselves for when something does go wrong. It's not just like, you know, like, I, I don't know about you, but lately I have found that, um, especially when, it comes to like furniture, styling, decor, fabrics, the amount of 
things that have been happening in the industry and like mistakes that have happened and back orders yeah. and shipping and damage is it's getting out of control. Almost. It is. So, um, I like to explain to clients like that stuff happens, but we do everything we can to, to turn it around quickly and, and fix the problem. Yeah. And I mean, it's, do you find that they still get angry even though you've given them the they, expectation? Or? Yeah. I mean, or frustrated, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Um, and rightfully so. Like I'm sure if I was in their position, I'd be frustrated too, but I feel like it eases the blow of it. I agree. Okay. I love all that. You know what? We might talk a little bit about that later in the podcast as well, but okay. We're going to go into a little segment. I call my rapid fire segment just to loosen things up, even though we already got pretty into it there, but (laughs) I'm just going to ask you a series of questions that um, I don't want you to overthink. Just give me whatever answer comes to mind quickly. Okay. Okay. All right. Number one, what do you struggle most in your business? Um, Oh gosh, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I would say right now, I would say the pricing structure. Okay. So you know what's fun about that answer? <laughs> Is um, everybody else fun? does too? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fun because it makes me realize that probably nine years from now, this is still going to be that, <laughs> that, that I'm going to keep trying to crack. So yeah. good. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> So, and and it's nice to hear, to be honest, like pricing is one of those things, even for me, like I'm constantly evolving, changing, trying new things. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when I, I was doing, how do you know, you know what, we'll get into that later. Um, but I, I was doing flat fees and I was getting annihilated. So I'm changing that, but, but good to know that it's just a, probably an evolution that will continue for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. If you were to sum up your first year, so this is going back now, think back to like year one, year two. Mm-hmm. First of all, were you a solo then or did you have employees? Yes. Okay. No, I was back when, myself. when did you first hire your first employee? Uh, probably three years ago. Oh my God. It, this makes me feel so good. <laughs> yeah. No, I was on my own for a long time. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And okay, so try to think back to those first few years when you were solo. Uh, mm-hmm. How would you summarize that in like a word or maybe a super quick sentence? Um, I'd say it was a bit chaotic. <laughs> I think because I was, I know that I, I took on any single project that came my way, mm-hmm. uh, which I do think is a good thing to do in the very beginning because you learn so much. It might not be your ideal client. I know there's like mixed reviews on this, but yeah. it might not be your ideal client. It might not be the ideal project. But when you're new and you have no experience or very little experience, let's say, um, I think it's a great way to get your feet wet and to like learn about working with different people, learn about you know communication and relationships and expectations. Um, especially like you're going to make mistakes. I still make mistakes uh, now. And Perfect. I think it's a great way to just like you know, really get experience under your belt. And then, you know, like, okay, I've, I've worked on a project like this before and it's not quite right for me. I'm going to go and look for a different kind of client. Mm -hmm. So I think that in the beginning, that was like, that was me for the first, oh my God, five or six years. (laughs) So just taking on like a lot of projects that I probably shouldn't have. Um, but I got experience for them and I learned every single project we still take. I learned so much from. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, I, I don't know if you've listened to any of my podcasts yet, and it's totally cool if you haven't, but I, I'm only two years into my business with mm-hmm. legit zero experience mm-hmm. at all. So everything you said earlier is very much like it is hard. It's kind of like if I knew then what I know now, um, 
it might not have been like so easy for me to decide to do this, but, um, there's so many times where I feel like, like not ashamed. That's not the right word. Like I shouldn't be accepting these projects. I shouldn't be doing this. You know, you're comparing yourself to other people. Mm -hmm. So it's just really nice. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast was for myself and other newer uh, business owners to be able to know like, okay, you know what, even the people we really admire who are killing it have had, have been where we are. And, and in some cases still are where we are uh, Mm -hmm. with frustration. So thank you very much for saying that. I should, I should also back up and say though, like as much as I think that like when you're starting out, you should take on, you know, maybe a project that's not your ideal clientele. I don't think you should take on projects where you get red flags of like Mm -hmm. someone who's going to be a jerk to work with or someone who's um, got a completely unrealistic budget that happens all the time. Um, I mean, you don't want to like screw yourself, but you, I think like, for instance, like projects that I would take on that I wouldn't take on now were like an office building. Like I, we did a lobby like maybe five or six years ago and I would never do that right now. Cause I right. learned I'm not into commercial work. It's just not my right. thing. And that's fine. I mean, you know, I know yep. people that love commercial work, commercial work, but, um, that's a kind of project I learned. Okay. This is not something for yep. me and I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. But, uh, but I definitely think like there's, there's, got to be some lines that you're, you just can't cross. But I do think that there are, and that was an experiment for me. I'm like, I'm going to take this on. I knew that I wasn't like super into doing a lobby, but I thought I'm going to try it. Yeah. And I learned that, no, it's not for me. Yeah. And you know how you just said, um, sometimes people will contact you with really unrealistic budgets. Do you still find you get that? Absolutely. Every single time. Like it's <laughs> like, can, it's, can I, like, for example, <laughs> Well, and I think you're, you're saying you're getting a little more into decorating now. You're more, you do more. So it's probably a little different, the numbers you get, but I mean, I'll get, I'll get an email where a client wants to do like their living room, dining room, you know, whatever for $5,000. And I'm going like, I don't even, what do you say to people like that? (laughs) Um, I've only had to, I'm just trying to think. I had one conversation where I kind of um, got the confidence to say, like, I- I'm just, I'm sorry, we can't. There's nothing really we can do to help mm-hmm. uh, because the the budget was so low for the list of things that they wanted to accomplish. And I mean, at that point, there's just um, maybe five years ago, I wouldn't have bent over and been like, yeah, let's do it. Like, you know, I'll try <laughs> and make something happen. Yeah. But um, now I'm just realistic with my time and my time is so valuable yeah. that I, I just can't, um, I just can't bend my rules anymore. Uh, yeah. So I, I have to have, it's an awkward conversation. I'm not going to lie, but it's kind of something you have to do and, and just save yourself or say to them, okay, you've got $5,000. Well, what can we accomplish with $5,000? Maybe we can get you a really killer sofa and a cool area rug and a coffee table and a couple of like, I don't know, pieces of art on the wall or something like that. Yeah. But we're not going to be able to accomplish everything you want to do. You either have to raise the budget or, or reduce the scope. I know it's so hard too because it's like it even is. if we do reduce the scope, you start to think, you know what, this project. It's I find it really hard to be inspired by projects like that, and yeah, I, I find you know it is important for me. It's not just about like okay, here's a client that is in my pipeline and it's money. It's also you know what I do. I value my my want to be inspired by the project that I'm doing. So it can be it's it's tough. It is. Yep. Yep. Okay. I'm going to ask you one more question and then we'll get right into it. 
So let's see here. Okay. Biggest, this is another loaded question. Mm -hmm. Uh, Biggest lesson you've learned in business. Um, I would say, my gosh, again, there's been so many lessons. I swear every single project, there's a lesson learned. Yeah, I believe Um, that. I would say one of the biggest things is, well, there's two. One is communication. I think that you need to, and this relates to like every project I've worked on so far, is that you need to communicate um, and listen to your client's expectations and communicate what you're going to do for them. Because I feel like if those kind of things are missed, like if you don't hear what they're saying about what they expect, like when they expect it and how much they expect to pay and... um, you know, and even like those subtle cues and like body language and that kind of stuff, if you don't really listen and you miss that, then you're not going to make them happy. And then you're not going to get a referral and you're not Mm going to have a great portfolio piece. So I think communication is like one of the biggest things to focus on. Um, And then I would say lately too, I've learned that just like life and it's so cliche, but life is too short to um, do stuff you don't want to do. So I've really like taken that to heart lately. And like, like I said, projects that I wouldn't, you know, maybe I would have done five years ago. I'm not going to do them now because we are, we're busy. We've got stuff going on. There's like, you know, projects that I want to aspire to. And I want to make time for those kind of projects. I don't want to be spending my time on things that aren't fun, aren't, um, inspiring, aren't going to be in my portfolio. So I, I rarely take on those kind of projects anymore. Awesome. Well, I quite, I like that. I like that a lot, actually. Um, the communication thing is really nice to hear because I know it's something I'm really trying to. Mm-hmm. And it's tough. Don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's really hard to have some of those like hard conversations. Mm-hmm. Like I put them off sometimes and then I, and then that makes it even worse. I know. So um, it sucks, but it's part of, it's part of being in business as part of being a boss. It's part yeah. of you know, running the show. You have to have those awkward conversations at times. Totally. And really it's just like rip the bandaid off so you can go to yep. sleep at night and be done with and it. And at the end of the day, like usually your clients, like if, you know, if you guys have a good rapport and a good relationship, maybe they'll get mad. Maybe it'll be a really awkward conversation, but usually at the end you're like, you've smoothed it out. You guys yeah. are laughing and then like you'll move on and you'll make things right. I mean, totally mistakes happen and most people are relatively realistic about that. Yes. Most of the time for sure. Yes. <laughs> I will say I'm pretty lucky so far. I haven't had any like nightmare. Yet, <laughs> That's good. Um, okay. So let's move on to the topic as to why I actually reached out to you. So I'm going to give a little bit of context to the listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically Amanda in, in one comment in a Facebook group saved me like $10,000 and it's very dramatic, but it's very true. So Basically, uh, I'm going to kind of tell everybody what I had posted in the group, and then I'm just going to let you explain how you saved $1,000. So um, in Veronica's group, what they don't teach you in interior design school... Okay, actually, I'm going to backtrack a sec. Um, uh, I have been struggling with the whole shopping for clients during... I call it finishing touches. Some people call it installation. But to date, I have yet to do a, a real installation where all the furniture shows up on one day and then I do the styling. So I call it finishing touches, which is where I go into the home, completely style in a day, uh, probably normally about three rooms at a time. And then the client comes home to the reveal. And for me, that means I go shopping with my car and I go fill the car till it's totally full. And I normally take two to three days to do this. 
And then I come home, I have to unload my car into my house because I don't have an office yet. I, I work from home. And then, so basically I'm adding another two to three hours of unloading time into my living room, at which case then I have to get someone to pick it all up and then kind of go from there. So I was toying with the idea of buying a cargo van <laughs> that I would own. I was thinking it would be, you know, maybe I'd spend $10,000 on this cargo van because I'd crunched, I'd done the math in my head where I would, maybe I could do, a, instead of a rental, it would make more sense. Um, but it still meant I would have to fill this truck myself and I would still have to uh, empty it myself. So I posted asking if anybody had done this and if they thought it was a good idea, if there's anything I hadn't considered. And that's when Amanda posted her freaking amazing genius idea that I don't even know how I never got here. I like to think I'm very efficient and I think, I, I like to think I think outside the box, but why don't you share with everybody your suggestion that you gave me? And this is a, this is your process for sure. um, accessorizing and shopping for all those good, those goodies. Well, um, it's definitely, it took me a, a couple of years for sure to, to get here. Cause I did the same thing as you, I would go around, buy everything, fill up my SUV, uh, I didn't have an office at the time, so I'd bring it home. I'm in a condo, so I would lug it up the elevator, um, leave it in my house for a couple nights, and then lug it all down to the car and do the install. And I found that, like, when I would go to, you know, a bunch of different stores, like, my car would get full, so I would have to, like... Uh, I'm in Vancouver, so like, or North Vancouver, so I'd have to head downtown Vancouver again and again. It just was like, it's so inefficient. Um, It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of my client's time and money. Um, So I thought, okay, like what's a better way? And um, so what I did is I found a company uh, called City Errands here in Vancouver and another company called uh, Second to None Delivery. So City Errands is like my primary company that I um, hire to do all of my like smaller accessory uh, pickups and then my furniture stuff I do with Second to None. Okay. But what I've started doing is that like I, again, I I think I learned this from Kimberly Sullivan's book is the install and how important it is to have all of it happen on one to two, maybe even three days, depending on how big the project is. Mm -hmm. So I have it in my contract that, um, when 90 to 95% of the furniture and decor is ready to go here in Vancouver, that's when I schedule my delivery, my install. So I break it down into two days on average, the first day I have all of like the big furniture pieces delivered and placed. So I'll have like usually multiple vendors delivering. Um, that being said, uh, I know there are other ways of doing it and having like one kind of, again, delivery team delivering everything, but that's like a, a different conversation. But this is what I do now is I have everything delivered on the furniture day. On that furniture day, um, I also have city errands go around to all the stores that I've bought accessories from. So uh, right now, currently, I do buy a lot of my accessories from retail show or retail stores. So like uh, whether it's CB2, West Elm, um, we've got a great store here in West Vancouver called Da Vinci's. Uh, so I buy from all of those stores. I ask, because I've got great relationships with all the stores, I ask them to pack everything up. They leave it in their back room, and then I have city errands come and pick everything up the day of my furniture delivery. Mm-hmm. So I usually do a shop, I would say, like two weeks prior to my install. And I go around. I take pictures of everything I want. I go home. I think about it, um, like what, I, what I'm actually going to be buying. 
I go back sometimes uh, a week later, I purchase everything. It all gets wrapped up. I send my claim checks to, uh, to city errands. They go the day of the furniture delivery because by the time they're done picking everything up and they drop it off to me at the end of the day, it's there ready to go for day two. And day two is when we do all of the styling and placement of everything. Um, and then usually by the end of that day, the house is done. And then the following day I do a photo shoot. I so that's kind of in a nutshell. Love it so much. Okay, I have questions. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, first of all, the day that you told me this, I was so freaking giddy. I was pumped. <laughs> Great. Like, like, I don't even care. It's it's like you said. First of all, I'm. Pr- this is going to make my shopping time. It's going to cut my shopping time in half because half yes. of the shopping time was spent me lugging like ten bags from Pottery Barn through a mall because in oh, Toronto. Yeah. Right. I, I'm like you. I have my usual suspects. And right now I also source accessories from retailers. I'm thinking about ordering a, a bunch of um, accessories that I think will be kind of like, you know, those go-to pieces that I'm like, I know I would use this in a home or if I don't use it in this home, I'll use it in another one. Because it's, I find it really annoying when I go to this one place and I purchase something that I know I could have got from Mercana or something like that mm-hmm. for half the price and charge the retail. But for now, that's what I've been doing. But um, I could not, I just couldn't wrap my, I don't understand how this did not come to me. Um, but it was just so good because first of all, there's, I get really, I'm not super excited. I love to go shopping, but I don't love the idea of what I know is the schlepping, like you called it in your post. Yeah. It's total yeah. schlepping. And that's not fun at all. And it makes me really unmotivated to want to get out there and go do it. I find it very stressful too, because I find that the time that I'm standing there at the till waiting for them to like wrap everything up and then the multiple trips to the car, I'm like, I just missed like five or six emails that I could be sending, or I just missed a phone call I could be on and doing other billable time. So that those days I actually find to be very stressful. So I'd rather, you know, just do my shop and get out essentially. And it's, just so exhausting too. I mean, it's like you, by the end of the day, your feet are killing you and yeah. it's just nuts. So after I got your post, cause I have a finishing touches scheduled for Wednesday of next week. And so I was like, okay, you know what? Even though for me, there's part of me, I don't know if you're like this, but it's like, it's a change of my process that I've gotten very accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And it makes me very nervous. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. What if those delivery people show up and things are broken? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, not yet. No. Okay. Knock on wood. Sorry. I even brought that up. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, I'm just like, well, what if they don't show up? What if they miss a storm? What if this? So I'm, I'm kind of right now, it's like, I'm a little nervous about it, but I fully, I contacted an errand place like you suggested, talked to the dude. He was great. He said he could totally do it. Um, and that they would do it the day before they would hold the accessories overnight and they would drop it off in the morning. By the time I need them to, I called all my retailers and pretty much every single one of them, except for home sense. I don't, they're not, yeah, that's that's not going to happen at home. (laughs) They only allow you to hold art there if you can't fit it in your car. Right. You know what? Home sense is they don't package anything very well anyway. No. So Everybody was totally on board with the whole idea. They even said they would hold it for up to a week, some cases two weeks. So wow. I feel really good about it. 
And then with another retailer, instead of even going there, I just went on their website and sent them a list of all the things I wanted. I'm not even going into that store. Amazing. Yeah. So I'm pretty pumped. And then today I went shopping. So I started at 12 and I got home at 3.30 and I hit up so many more stores than I ever would have otherwise. And now I'm kind of just creating my list of all of, and I got to go. I'm a bit late. I'm a bit late on this one, but on Monday, I'm probably going to have to hit up a couple more places, but I've got my list ready to send to my errand people. And then they're going to pick it up on Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm mildly nervous because like my control freak nature is just like, I don't know if you have, are you, are you at all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm the same type. Like I, I feel like I'd rather just do it myself, but, <laughs> but I learned that, you know, it just, it, it really is at the end of the day, it's, it's a time suck and it's yeah. like, you're not making money on it really. No. And yeah, so I'm very excited about it. Um, so I do have a couple other questions, first mm-hmm. of all, with regards to that. So um, when, okay, so you already talked about, you basically give like the delivery guy, your claim check. So basically you just send them an email and you say, okay, here's where you're going and here's how many bags you might anticipate. Yes. Like I forward them because I usually get it via email from, okay. from those places, my receipt. So I forward them the claim check because the company is going to need that information to release the product to him. Yeah. But then I also send him a detailed cause he requested, but also cause I want to make sure that yeah. all the information is there. Um, the pickups, the addresses, uh, and then the drop-off location and then who the contact is at the drop-off. I love it. And okay. So, um, I had a question. Okay. You did say, sorry, before I ask you that, when the stuff shows up, do you have a process? Do you just kind of hope for the best that everything's there? Or do you have somebody try to take some sort of inventory to kind of take a peek, a, make sure things aren't damaged and be like, just some sort of, um, yeah, I'm like, I mean, I'm there usually to receive it and, uh, I, we just do a really quick check like, okay, yeah, everything looks like it's here. Um, and then I, because the claim checks are usually attached to the bags, I can kind of quickly go through it, Yeah. but I haven't really had, I, ha- I don't sit down and go through every single okay. bag to make sure everything's there. And I haven't so far, we haven't missed anything. And if we do, I mean, we still have a day essentially to go pick it up or, because I don't do everything on one day. Um, I, yeah, I like that's right. So I could, at the worst case scenario, go drive and pick it up myself or, or send yeah. a courier or something like that. Yeah. And actually, that's one of the things that I've recently been taking much more advantage of is this whole idea of a courier, you know? Yes. If, if I need something picked up from somewhere, A, it's not good use of my time because it, it could, depending on where you're going, it could be an hour of your time, mm-hmm. if not more, they're back. Uh, when it's just going to pick something up. And if it's for a client, it's like you said, it's, they don't want to pay for us to schlep. So I think for anybody listening, if you don't already have like somebody in your back pocket, I have someone I can easily text. That's how he's cool with me communicating with him. If Mm -hmm. I needed something to be picked up, say, and I did do this once where they went to pick up some faux plants that I had because they didn't fit in my car and they went to pick it up, brought it back. And some places will even do it within the hour. You pay a bit of a premium, but it's so good. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking too, you know, the amount of like whatever might be missing and the time to go through it to f- catch maybe like a $50 item missing. It's just like, 
it makes more sense to eat the cost of $50 if, if it's just kind of like nobody can track it down and you don't find it out till later versus yeah. taking an hour of your time to take formal inventory of everything. So, And I, I haven't had that, knock on wood, I haven't had that yeah. happen yet where something's like literally just gone missing. Because most stores too, if you said like, hey, I, I bought this and it wasn't in the bag, then they're usually pretty good on it and we'll, we'll mm-hmm. solve that problem. Okay. So in your comment, you did reference something, uh, suggesting that, you know, you could probably be doing some other things to tighten up this process and streamline it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, is that something that you, uh, you know, already some things that you could do to streamline or you're just kind of like, in theory, I'm sure it could get even tighter. Um, like, well, I just think, I do think in theory, there are some things I could, yeah, that I could do. One of the biggest things that I haven't taken advantage of yet, cause I haven't had a project. Well, I have, but I just haven't utilized the service yet is the other company I work with second to none. They have storage. So I can send, um, like when I'm doing a really large install, I can either like, let's say we have things that are being shipped. I can ship things to them and have them store it. And then I have them essentially do all of the deliveries. So it's like one team and they take inventory. They check if things are broken. Mm. They do all that service for you, but obviously your client's paying a premium for that. So, um, I mean, that's definitely something you can utilize in larger, larger installs. And that's something I will be looking into. I just haven't, I haven't used it yet, but I could see how that would be very, very streamlined and just kind of takes the worry away from me because at the, at this, like right now we have an office and when I have shipments, I ship everything to my office. We have a room, I put everything in. Mm -hmm. And then part of that pickup day, I have city errands come to my office as well as the stores pick everything up from my office and then, uh, take it to the install. That's so awesome. And so how many, how many places do you think they normally hit up for you? Like what's the most they've ever hit up for you and how long? Probably five. Okay. Cause there are some times like when I, if I'm in a store and I'm only buying like, let's say five to 10 items and it's carryable, like I take it to my car. Okay. Um, so today I, I, I forced myself, I had a couple situations where I in theory could have taken it to my car, but I decided that I was going to not allow myself to do that because I wanted to t- test this theory. Well, yeah, try it for sure. Yeah. For sure. And I, and I actually wanted to ask you like, where do you draw the line is because then I thought, well, you know what though? What if every place I go to is just one bag? Then all of a sudden I've got a full car potentially. Yeah. I kind of so, just call it like if I'm in the store and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to take this. I'm parked close by. It's not yeah. too heavy. Um, it's not too much stuff Then I take it and I just bring it with, especially if it's like within a day or two or three yeah. of the install, not like a week before, but if it's, you know, very close to the install, then I just bring it with. Right. I'm like pushing it pretty tight right now. I've had one of those weeks after vacation, like I should have already done all this. Um, but you know what? I will say going out and shopping while I really love this like final stage, it is the most exhausting, but obviously the most rewarding. Like it's, there's nothing better than that, that end result, but it, sometimes I just find it so hard to motivate to be like, okay, I have to go leave and be away from my laptop and, you know, getting other work done and go shop. Like it's just, it's a very exhausting thing to do. I find. Mm -hmm. But, um, okay. So how many hours would you say, okay, first of all, if you don't mind me asking, what are your typical budgets that you're actually spending on accessories? Like what's, what's that normally look like for you? On accessories? Well, I guess it it definitely depends on how many rooms we're doing. Mm -hmm. When it's a full house, I would say anywhere from my gosh, probably like 10 to $20,000. 
Um, wow. Yeah. And that is a lot of big, stuff. big home. Like we usually, like I, if we usually do like a full home, it's like a 5,000 square foot home. Um, so I mean, and that's probably, a, that's a very, very rough estimate. I know it could be a lot higher and like, yeah. where do you cut off accessories? Like I don't include art in that, but that would be like, yeah. um, all the filler pieces and yeah. like, um, yeah, I, no, I would that say sounds that's totally reasonable to me. Okay, so I'm going to use that as an example then, because I'm very curious. Because the most, the most amount. First of all, I I now bring on an assistant for to help me on that day. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. you're unpacking accessories. You're, um, you know, you're you're helping organize things, but I'm the one doing the styling. How many people do you normally have on site with you for a full house of styling? There's three of us total. Okay. And those three people are also people who can do the styling with you? Yep. Okay. So they're actually designers as well? Yes. Okay. Um, And are they also doing some shopping? No, right now it's mostly me. Okay. So, sorry. They help me with, with um, like picking things up, but it's because, and it's just the logistics is I'm the one with the credit card. So (laughs) I go and do all the purchasing. Yeah. You know what? There's a, okay. Do you, do you, are you of the philosophy for me? I do for me to do my best styling. And maybe this is a lot of to do with experience, but mentally I feel like this would always be a bit of a philosophy. Um, I don't know if philosophy is even the right word, but I tend to intentionally buy far more than I need because I feel like that's allowed. Okay. Yeah. How do you deal with returns? Um, I, yeah, I definitely always buy more than what I think I need. And then we get there, we unwrap it all and we're like, well, I probably could have gone with 25% more, but, um, yeah, I, know. <laughs> I, because I've, I guess, because I've established relationships with these places, I just, I buy it and I return it. And that's that. Like we do with the returns the next day. Um, I give the clients in theory, I give them about 24 hours to make their decisions on what mm-hmm. they want to keep with accessories. Cause some places, most places actually, I should back up more of like the boutique, um, type accessory shops. Like we've got a couple here, like Da Vinci's and provide, um, are two that we shop at. I take things on loan because right. that saves them paperwork. It saves me paperwork. So they print out a list of everything I'm taking. Um, I take it for 24 to 48 hours, uh, mostly or usually 48 hours, style it up in the house. The client's got 24 hours to decide if they want to keep it. If not, then we pack it up and take it back. And then I'm charged for what I've actually kept. Right. Um, but places like the bigger retail box mm-hmm. stores, um, don't do that. So you have to buy everything and then you just return it. And I mean, it's part of the job. Um, and usually they're, I would think that they're pretty happy that they're at least selling a couple thousand dollars worth of accessories. Um, and then you say you're bringing back like a thousand bucks. Like it's, I mean, yeah, it is I what mean, it is. Like before I used to worry about it and now I'm like, I, I can't worry about it. It's not my problem. Oh yeah. And I, yeah. I have so no issue with that. Um, who, so do you take the time to do the returns or do you ha- hire someone out? Because I, I've been trying to figure out it, the whole thing, like you said, is the credit card thing. <laughs> it's like, who can yeah. I trust to give my credit card to? Yeah. And, I was and using- a lot of it you can do over the phone, I find. Um, like purchasing, you can do over the phone. But we just split it usually between the three of us, kind of depending on, you know, who's okay. going to where and and can you hit up that store and just do the return and yeah sometimes I do it on the weekends which I know is a kind of a no-no but if it's like if it's convenient yeah. for me then I'll do it right okay so I'm very happy to hear that 
you also follow this process of buying more. I'm like, maybe this is like my inexperience. And no, but I feel like it's really hard to just pull together a sh- an entire shelf styling out of your head and looking at accessories on shelves no. in a retail store. Well, for me too, it's too tough with like thinking about like scale and yeah. color. Maybe you've got too much of too much metal happening or too much glass or too much yeah. whatever. So you have to like soften it up and you just don't know until you get there. At least I don't know until I get there. And do you have, so now we're getting even more granular. I'm just curious about, about people's thinking on this. So how do you, do you, how do you come up with a budget and how do you determine, um, what's your process for, okay, well, I need to know, I don't want to show up at my client's house with 50 vases and not enough variety that fills all the various places that need to be filled. How do you do that in a way that's somewhat organized, I guess? Um, I, I definitely like when I'm doing the design in the beginning, Mm -hmm. I like picking out all the furniture and stuff. I do still look online for some like key accessories, like a, like a vase that's really going to like pull everything together. Um, so those items get ordered or, or purchased beforehand. But then when I'm doing kind of like the, when I need those like filler pieces, um, I do just buy everything that I like. I like literally buy everything I like because you just uh-huh. never know what you're going to use. And like yeah. sometimes something will turn out to be like spectacular that you never would have expected. Yeah. Um, I also request that my clients aren't there when I'm doing the install. Uh, yeah. Cause that's a pretty big no, no having them there. Oh uh, God. Lurking. I can't, I can't style when someone's watching. No, you do it, so. I know. I cannot, um, I, you cannot be lurking behind me seeing the, the, no, the chaos that is before. No. Cause it, it can be hideous before it looks beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. And you don't want to doubt you yourself. You need that judgment. Well. Yeah, so, exactly. So <laughs> if they're not there to witness it, then I mean, they don't need to see all the random stuff that you bring in. Yeah. But, um, no, I do, I definitely do pre-select some things, but then there's a bunch that obviously just kind of comes together at the, at the end. I love that. Okay, cool. And do you, in your mind, are you thinking, okay, I really should, th- this is my brain is very like process driven. So sometimes I think maybe I'm going to come up with a form so that I can be checking boxes. Like I need this many vases. I need to make sure I have wood. I need to make sure I have mm-hmm. maybe something woven. Um, do you, do you, have any way to strategically make sure that you're not showing up with a lot of, like you said, brass or metal elements? Um, not particularly, but I do, I do, um, think about it before I, before I actually go and do my shop for sure. I I definitely kind of have like a little list on my phone of like, okay, I I need to make sure I've got like, you know, a really cool white vase for this dark room or something like that. Like I I have a, a mental hit list, but I don't have like everything broken down to a T. Gotcha. And do you ever find that after, okay, so because you say normally it's a two-day installation, maybe it's three-day depending on how big. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, I guess if you're doing three days and you probably nail it at some point between those days, but are your clients gone, not coming home for the evening, those two to three days, or are they going away? Are they allowed to come home at night to sleep? How does that work? Um, I I don't even know. It's kind of, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, that's kind of a a hot topic. Cause I find that there's been a couple of installs I've done it when people are away, Mm -hmm. which I love. Oh, I love that And then by the time they come home, they're like vibrating with excitement to come home from their vacation. They walk in, they see it, you get a call at like nine o'clock at night and they're so excited. And I love, I've done that a couple of times and I loved it. Other times I've had it, it's just unrealistic because they've got yeah. young kids and they have to be home. So they come in, they see the furniture, they usually get pretty excited. And then the next day, like you do the full install with all the accessories. Now, something I've heard um, 
or I've learned about and something that I, I would like to implement for my more high-end clients is like almost, you know, I mean, getting them like a, a, a night at a hotel, like a local, like a really yeah. nice hotel, just so they've got um, the night away, you know, and then they come back the next day at five o'clock. You always like give it the end of the day, the deadline, because yeah. you're always going to need more time than you think. Yeah. But, um, that's something that I'm thinking about doing for like our next big install in October. If, if they don't have somewhere to stay, like then I would, I would definitely offer that service. Cause I really am trying to get into more of like the luxury market. So I think yeah. by doing like little touches like that, and it's really like, you know, no skin off my back to do something like that is not a big deal. So yeah. um, I think that's a really nice way of like taking care of your clients and pampering them. And then maybe you have like a little surprise in the hotel room when they get there. And then the mm-hmm. next day they come and they've got their like beautiful new home. I think it's, that would be unreal. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm going to move in just to the last segment because you wrote something on your website that I want to kind of dig into a little more. Um, so let's say you're doing a two day installation. These are just the things that happen to me. So I'm asking, I like to mm-hmm. see how other people do this. You're doing your two day installation. Um, and you're doing styling on day two. And for whatever reason, you realize, let's say it's kind of halfway through the day. Um, do you ever feel like there's key pieces that you think, oh, you know what? I didn't, I feel like I need a specific something accessory wise. Like maybe it's that it needed to be taller or wider for the show. I don't know. I'm just mm-hmm. something specific that feels like, you know what, if I could do this again, I wish I could have this. And in perfect world, I'd actually come back with that item or like a plant or something. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, do you ever say, okay, client comes home to the reveal and say, um, you know what, I, I'm going to come back with a couple of key pieces that I feel um, I didn't have, but I think would make a big difference. Or do you just figure out a way to sort that out? Um, no, I do. I, I'll tell them, I'll be like, you know what? We, once we got through it, we realized that we really want like a little bit of a taller vase. We'll swap this one out for something else. And usually they don't mind at all. Okay. And I guess like when you're charging enough money, (laughs) taking those extra hours to make that happen is totally feasible within whatever they've already paid kind of thing. Yeah. Cause usually it's only like a, like, two, three, four items that might yeah. like, you might either need or want to swap out. So I try to, um, I mean, I try to make do with what I have, but at the same time, if I'm really missing something, I'm missing something and I'm going to yeah. have to go back and get it, make it, make it right. Okay. So is there anything else with regards to this topic that you feel like I didn't ask and maybe is valuable information for, for myself or the listeners? Um, not necessarily. I will say though, like I, I understand that this might not work where a lot of people are located, but I think in like big, you know, large cities, like this is definitely something that's feasible. If a lot of your stores, especially if like I know in Vancouver, for instance, a lot of the stores are located within a 15 minute proximity to each other. So, um, it's easy for someone to go around and just kind of pick everything up. So I get that there's like some logistics behind it, but mm-hmm. I would recommend just trying it out. Even if it's like, say you did do a huge shop at pottery barn or whatever, and you had 10 bags worth, like it might be worth having, um, someone pick it up because I feel like, um, and to be, to be honest, when I saw your post about the the whole cargo van thing is I like the idea behind it for efficiency purposes, but I do think, and it depends on who you're marketing to, but if you are marketing to a more higher end client, they're not going to want to see you show up in a cargo van and like schlepping and like, no. you know what I mean? Like, that's not the kind of service. You're not a delivery person. So I no. don't think 
to be doing that kind of service for someone because you are taking away time of either looking for other clients, doing marketing, doing other billable hours for other clients. Like there's, you have to be so careful with your time um, in this industry. So I think that, you know, having someone go and do those things for you, I think it just shows, it makes it, it's a much more professional look in my opinion. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have seen some really cool designers, like designers have like really neat branded vans and that kind of stuff. And I totally mm-hmm. get that. But for me personally, I, I'm trying to offer more of like a luxury service and I want someone to do the heavy lifting. And then I'll obviously do my styling because that's what I'm good at. Like I'm not a delivery company. I agree. And if I'm being honest, like there's just, that's the, I do not enjoy that. Like sweating no. <laughs> with like five bags on each arm, cutting your circulation on your arms. And you're like it's starving and thirsty all day and yeah. stressed out. And no, it's yeah, just, no, no, exactly. And it's just going, Oh God, I got to go back and do five. I have to take five trips because yeah. it's, it's just, no, I agree. And it make and for me, when you posted that, I was so, I was so excited because I'm like, it's going to make me excited to do this again. Yeah. And, and I mean, the cost I isn't, isn't going to be that much different. Like if you're oh. hiring um, for your client, if you're hiring someone to go do that, it's like, I mean, I think the most I've spent is like three, four, maybe $500. But in theory, if you're, if you're charging, let's call it a hundred bucks an hour. Well, it's taking you that many hours for sure yeah. to go around and do all that kind of stuff. So really at the end of the day, you're probably saving your client money. I agree for sure. Um, for sure, for sure. Um, okay. I love it. Um, all right. So this next segment is a segment I call things that make me go. Hmm. And they're basically just a series of things that on a constant basis, like we talked about pricing earlier, it's just like a constant nut I'm trying to crack mm-hmm. and various things that are just always just curious how other people do these things. And I was looking at your website and something kind of caught my eye in your about page. Mm-hmm. And you said in, in, so I'm just going to read it back because I copy and pasted it. Um, so you said that you start each project by gathering inspiration images with your clients and create a collaborative concept, which you carry through each design, each design scheme. So can you ex- elaborate a little bit about like what that looks like? And I don't know if that's like super literal, like you actually sit down and do that with them. And um, I would love to hear what that looks like. Uh, yeah. So in the beginning, like in the consultation part, I do get my clients to gather images, whether that be from a magazine, um, online, house, Pinterest, Instagram, and start a little file. And um, I start my own file. I'll, I use Pinterest to mm-hmm. gather all of my imagery. And I, I make my board secret because I don't... So like uh, myself, my designer can see it, but not the client because I don't want them like yeah. looking at it and misinterpreting something. So we gather our own images, they gather theirs, and then we kind of sit down and look at them together. Because I feel that, um, and I explain this to my clients, is like their idea of modern can be completely different than my idea of modern. Um, so when yeah. they start gathering their images, we sit down and go through them and kind of dissect them. Mm-hmm. Because I find a lot of the times the clients will, again, choose like all different styles and it's just all over the map. So you really have to like kind of rein them in and be like, okay, what is it about this image that you really like? Is it the feeling? Is it the atmosphere? Is it the colors? Is it the mood? Is it the, like the light fixture? Um, so you ask a ton of questions 
And then I also ask what they don't like about the room. Because mm-hmm. um, then that gives me, you know, some tidbits of like, they're like, oh, I hate marble. And then I know not to spec marble for that project. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's very literal. Like we sit down and we go through imagery together because I'm very visual, obviously. And I think that mm-hmm. a lot of our clients not, they don't, they don't really see the vision as well. So it's nice to have like an image in front of the two of us together and having a conversation about it. And so you say you do that in the consultation or does it also extend into early in the, I'm sorry. Yeah. In the, in the beginning, in the, like once we've actually been hired to do the job is when we do that. Um, and we sit down, we go through those images together before we do our concept. Got it. And out of curiosity, when you say your concept, what, what does that, what does a concept mean to you? How so our concepts are like a very loose look and feel of the atmosphere um, of the of the home or the space that we're designing. So it's a lot of inspirational images. It's um, colors, textures. Um, we put it into a mood board and present it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, we get the feedback from the client. Uh, you know, are we on the right on the right page? Uh, are we going down the the right path that you want us to? Um, and we get some feedback from them and then we put together the full design scheme where we actually pick out the like specific products that we're going to be using uh, for the space. Love it. And so when you, let's say you show them an initial concept and they say, no, none of that. Do you then come back with a new concept until you get to a part where you're kind of like, yep, we're, we agree. That's, that's what we like. And yeah. I mean, I would, I've, I haven't had it where I've, totally missed the mark in terms of like a a concept because I think that there's a lot of work you have to do ahead of that before you even get to that concept and that's where you're like sitting down and going through the imagery and sitting down asking so many questions and asking a lot of like why do you want you know the space the way it is and and whatnot um I think doing all that work up front Mm -hmm. and you listen and you should usually hit that concept. I mean, of course there's going to be things that they're going to want to tweak Yeah, because there's things that I I know that I try and push my clients out of their comfort zone and sometimes not willing to do it and that's fine. But um, I think that it's important to get as much information in the beginning so that when you do do that concept, they are excited and they're like, okay, yeah, that is the right way, but the right, you know, we're on the same page, but we want to change like, a, B, and C, then it's not a big deal. Um, if I really miss the mark, well, then that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a, yeah, I don't know what I would do in that case because obviously you want to continue on, but at the same time, you need to get paid to, to revisit. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a bit of a touchy subject. Yeah. And I, you know what? I, I didn't do this stuff early on well enough. Like I thought I was doing this stuff well enough but I wasn't getting enough of the inspiration photos. Like I, and so after numerous like to presentation where I felt like I had to do so many revisions that it was like, okay, I'm clearly not getting what I need early on in my process. So now it's, it's pretty detailed as far as doing this, but I still don't think I'm doing the best job at pulling together a mood board. So I think that's kind of my takeaway from this conversation right now is I need to do better with that. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, how, can you, can you explain a little bit about your pricing model? So, you know, how do you, how do you charge clients? Is it flat fee hourly? Uh, right now we charge hourly, um, which is something that I'm kind of struggling with, to be honest, because I, I find that the amount of hours that we spend is never what I end up charging. And I know mm-hmm. that's like such a taboo thing to talk about and say, but it's true. Like it's, 
I think a client would be astonished when they saw the amount of hours it takes to actually design a full home. So um, that's where I'm kind of, that's where I'm like, what I said at the beginning is my biggest, my biggest struggle in business right now is just like how to price. Mm -hmm. Because I find that like, there's been a couple of times lately where, um, you know, I've submitted a proposal to a client and then to find out that someone else got the job and they've priced way lower than we did. So I'm kind of like, okay, well, I know that I couldn't do this project for less. So how are other people doing this project for less? Like, I just don't understand. So, um, yeah, pricing is definitely one of the the trickiest things because I think that nobody likes to talk about it and no one likes to really share their information. And when people do share their information, it still seems irrelevant. Like it, you know, if someone says like, I charge, you know, $100 an hour and someone says, oh, I charge $250 an hour. Well, how many hours did it take you to do the project? So I fully get that. And that's I what I, that like, again, nobody ever talks about. So mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. hundred percent. That's where I struggle with the most. Um, I think the product part of things I've nailed down pretty well. Um, and I've tried a bunch of different models throughout the years, but with our product, we split our retail discounts with our clients Okay, and, um, with anything that's like custom or, um, trade only, I give them a 10% discount off the retail price after the, Whoa. after the suggested retail price. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that answers that question. Um, I'm going to go back to, I'm, I'm going to come circle back to this, but before I get to that, it's interesting what you said about billing. So mm-hmm. one thing that I've noticed, and, and I'm trying some new stuff right now, but I, right from day one, I did flat fees, like grossly underestimating. Um, but I, I just, for whatever reason, in my mind, I assumed a client would want to know what they were going to spend for a project. Yeah. That's just, that was my approach, even though I made so many really terrible mistakes. And, um, so if I think about earlier this year, I upped my rate and I, you know, I, and I do, I have a very elaborate spreadsheet that I use to, to estimate my hours, but it's still, there's just so many variables that, Mm -hmm. you know, that you can estimate, but it's kind of like, if you're going to do a flat fee, the only way a flat fee makes any sort of sense for both parties is I give you a flat fee client because you want to know what you're going to pay. But in theory, you have to pay a premium to get that Mm. in my opinion. And a lot of the, I've been listening and reading about this as well, because it it makes no sense for me to give you a flat fee, completely undervalue my time. So first of all, the client gets to know what they're going to pay, but then I'm also going to grossly underestimate my hours to get the project. That makes no sense. Right. So there's no win on my side for that. It's all win and all upside for the client. So my new mentality around the flat fees is the only way I can demand a flat fee is if I estimate my hours and I'm ready to add 20 to 30% to that number so that I can completely cover myself no matter what happens. And if I'm not ready to do that, then my next best thing that I've started to do, I just did it on a project was I'm still estimating hours, but I'm giving them a range because there's just so many variables. So right. I'm saying, I'm basically saying I estimate your hours to be 50 to 80 and it's really dependent on how quickly you make decisions, um, mm-hmm. how many refinements there are. And you have, you're going to pay me the 50 hours in full prior to one thing I've noticed about myself is flat fee. I have no problem asking for 70% of my flat fee when I was doing that, which mm-hmm. in some cases was like, 
you know, $6,000 right off the hop, working through those hours, tracking as like being very diligent about those hours and never looking at them again. But the second I go into my phase two, which I normally say is hourly, I track my hours. Then I go back and go exactly what you said. I go, Oh, I don't know if I can charge them for that. But during my flat fee mentality, I, I, I put all my hours in to that flat yeah. fee. It's a very interesting psychology that I am trying to figure out. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of like that, like what you just said about doing like, and I, I, again, I think that's another thing that I learned from the Kimberly Selden method mm-hmm. is like doing a flat fee for, I believe, and correct me if this is wrong, but a flat fee for the beginning and then charging yeah. hourly to like implement and execute the project. And I like that me too. because I feel like the client knows, okay, it's going to cost me X amount of dollars to get me to this point where I'm ready yeah. to purchase. And then if the team were to manage all the purchasing, that's what it's, this is what it's going to be. So I do like that. And that's something I'm going to look at into the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I will say that pricing is definitely something that I struggle with because you just, I, I find my biggest struggle too is like not knowing, um, this is probably, you know, not great to admit, but not knowing like where we stand in, in within like the city of Vancouver, like in terms of competition and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say because some people really do undercut in order to get the job, but then they bill additionally after the fact and surprise clients with bills. And we never, like I never want to do that. Like I don't want to talk about all the costs up front mm-hmm. so the client knows what to expect. Cause I think that's like one of the hardest things is going back to someone and say, Hey, surprise, you owe us another $5,000. Like, no, that's not, that's not cool. I know. And that's, what's so scary. Well, this is what I really like about, and I read Kimberly Selden's flat fee book and yes, exactly what you're saying is what she does. So I have my three phases, which are like an offshoot of hers. I do I do, I now, I was doing a flat fee, but I was still, it was still just, I was losing, I, I tracked my time. I, I would double check my hours against what I had actually estimated. And sorry, I would track the hours spent and based on what I had actually estimated. And I was basically working over, I was losing money. So mm-hmm. I, I decided that okay, it's kind of like a flat fee, but it's not really. I'm telling you at least what the range would be. And truth be told, it's, I just can't give you an estimate because there's so many variables. Like what yeah. if we decide we have to do three more meetings? Um, to, to yeah, exactly. And in construction too, with the amount of site visits you have to do. And, and if you're working on a project from that's a year to two years long, like things get discontinued. So you have to resource. And yeah. I mean, stuff comes up all the time. So it's really, yeah. you're right. It's very hard to estimate like that kind of execution portion of the project. Yeah. It's, and, and I'm just, I looked at my, my, I thought I quantified how much money I left on the table and I'm just like, this is not acceptable. So I, why am I going to keep doing flat fees until I nail it and, or until I have the confidence to inflate that fee to cover my butt? Mm-hmm. So, and if I'm not, if I feel like that number is going to scare a client away, then that's not going to be favorable to me. So right. instead I'd rather estimate on the low end, what I think is reasonable, but still a little higher than what I think it would be because you just never know. And then on the high end, and then I still ask for a significant chunk of that upfront and I work against it. I don't know how this is going to work. Cause I literally just had my first project where this was how my contract was built. But what, what I find also happens, and this is me being a newbie and having confidence issues, is when it gets to execution, I start to question, like, do they really want me to do this? Like, should I just assume that I'm doing all of this execution for them until they tell me otherwise? I start to go, like, I don't know if I should be doing this because it's going to cost them money for me to do this. Uh, yeah. 
Like, should I be the one contacting the painter or do they want to, you know, I, I, these are all things like I'm really struggling with phase two, even though it's like, it should be easy, but it's just, yeah. I would say, (laughs) I would say though, like if you're offering a service, I would assume that you should be doing the majority Right. I like that's the thing, right? The client in, in my mind, the client's paying you to, to do those things. So if I was the client, like I wouldn't be like, well, I'm going to call the painter and take care of it. Well, no, I've hired you to do that type thing. Yeah. However, I would say, I would definitely suggest like having that conversation with them though. So again, ex- expectations are met. So they're not surprised with the bill and they know that the project is still running smoothly. So I think that that's, it's all about communication, right? And like, and, yeah. and also clearly defining the scope of work that you're doing in the beginning of the project. Okay. So I'm just adding a new touch point in my process. At the beginning of phase two, I need to, it is so simple, but (laughs) it's like, why am I not doing this already? Okay. So I need to have this conversation with my client about expectations. How are we moving forward with phase two? And basically scope of work. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and regardless it's hourly because I just do phase two hourly. Mm -hmm. Um, and you need to know that if I randomly come to your house for a meeting, it's going to cost you money. Of course. Go yeah. Here, it's going to, if we're meeting at a showroom, it, like I, I start to feel weird about charging people for that. And I don't, I just, I don't know. This is a whole, fi- like a money mindset issue that I have as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that I have to work through obviously. Um, okay. So I want to go back to I'm, one more question for you. And then I'm going to let you tell everybody where they can find you on social media. You were saying um, when it comes to furnishings, uh, you split your retail discounts with clients. Mm-hmm. And um, now, which is great. I finally started doing that after giving that away, even though it's not really that much. But at the end of the day, I thought if I am going to source retail, I might as well make a little bit of money off of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you also charge the time? So do you use your, the, the trade discounts, say for retail or your markups on your product as your payment for taking care of purchasing? Or do you also bill hourly for that? Uh, no, the commission that we make, um, is covers the time to do of all the administrative work about the ordering. So, I mean, like we do it, we do quite a bit of a mix of like ordering from wholesale vendors and trade only vendors and retail. I'd say on larger projects or projects with bigger budgets, I usually shop. Like I try to go predominantly with either wholesalers or to the trade only, um, because then I'm making a lot more. And that's what I feel covers my time to, to do the order management and the, um, like the quality control and, and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I'm not sure if that's a popular approach, but that's how, that's how we're doing it right now. But mm-hmm. I charge the hourly to do the actual design work and, mm-hmm. um, have everything like before, I guess the, that design phase before we execute, essentially all of that's paid for with design hours. Okay. And one last question, actually, in, since you're a fellow Canadian, do you find it difficult to find those vendors that you can work with that, that meet the aesthetic that you're after? Or, you know, do you find it frustrating that maybe a lot of the vendors that you really like are us based and it can be difficult? How do you work? With? Yeah. I, I mean, Vancouver, I would say is even worse than Toronto. But, uh, oh God. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, I mean, there are some like fat, like fabulous places that we shop at that we love. And I mean, we've got really great relationships with a local company called once a tree furniture here. And we use them a ton. Um, I mean, there are some really cool go-tos, but at the same time, I just feel like there's not enough, um, variants. Like there's, there's a lot mm-hmm. of like, the, you see the same thing again and again and again. Yeah. And the problem with, I mean, I, I definitely over the last year, I've been trying to open more accounts. Um, 
but the whole kind of logistics of like shipping and receiving and freight and all that kind of stuff is something that I'm new to. And, um, but something that I'm, I'm trying to work on as well, because I do want to be able to offer product that people can't readily get in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, so that is definitely something that I'm moving towards next year. I'll be, hopefully be like carrying a lot more lines that, um, that you can't get here from retail stores. So. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, um, what your website is and all your, your social media handles. Okay. Yep. So my website is, um, aeinteriors.ca and our Instagram handle is Amanda Evans interiors. Uh, I would say that our, the predominant uh, social media I use is Instagram. I'm not super active on Facebook and Twitter, to be honest, because I find it's just way too much time. Mm-hmm. But Instagram is the, I think for like for our industry, like it's so visual, Instagram's the best, yeah. best place to be. Well, thank you so much. That was honestly, that was a really awesome conversation for me. You have given me some oh, amazing nuggets. I super appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I really appreciate it too. And it was so great to meet you over Facebook. Yes. Well, guys, I hope you loved that interview as much as I did. I knew from the moment that she posted that, oh my comment in the, in, I think it was Veronica's Facebook group, that this was going to be a game changer for me. And what I'd love to do right now, and I'm sorry that this is going to be a bit of a long episode, but I want to give you a quick update as far as how my finishing touches day went using this new process. So like she said, I found a local company that would, would had basically agreed to pick up all the stuff, hold it overnight, and then drop it off to me first thing in the morning at 9 a.m. So needless to say, I had some high anxiety, like I said earlier, about whether or not all the items would even show up, whether things would be broken, whether stuff would be missing in my packages, but it went absolutely amazing, so smoothly. Um, The guy showed up, I really enjoyed him as a human, he was really great to work with. I had some hiccups with an Ikea thing, which he totally was super awesome about, and it went amazing. So needless to say, pretty pumped about the end result. The only thing I did not love was how much it cost me. And it cost me like about $500 all in. I'm not totally opposed to it. I might do a little bit of a a test to see like what other people would quote this job for. But the reality is I think they went to about seven places uh, to pick up stuff and it wasn't in like necessarily a concentrated area and in addition to that he also held the product in his truck overnight and dropped it off in the morning so I mean I get it it probably makes a lot of sense that it costs that much but I was really hoping it was going to cost more like $300 so I'm going to test that out a bit If you liked this episode please do me a favor and subscribe also leave a review I've been hearing people say that they're leaving reviews, but oddly they're not showing up. So what's going on, Apple? Why is this happening? Uh, As promised though, I did say that I would read the reviews that are being posted. So I'd love to share a review from somebody who happens to also be a friend. Michelle is so authentic and genuine for anyone starting their own business in the design field, this podcast is a must. Michelle is so honest about all the highs and lows that we all experience on this journey. She shares what most of us have felt at some point. I, and then I think there might be a typo here and then shares how she's dealing with it. Just knowing that we are not alone is so reassuring. Love her positive energy. Congrats, Michelle on a job well done. 
Well, first of all, shout out to Robin. It was Robin who posted that. Robin Castanet uh, of Robin Castanet Interiors, and she's based, um, I think, in North York, uh, in the GTA area. Thank you so much for posting that. I super appreciate it. So, guys, I would love if you could leave me a review. So, the reason I think it would be awesome if you would do this is because I think it would help me get reach my goal with this podcast. And one of the biggest goals I'm calling my trifecta goal is to talk to three of my design heroes heroes. Number one, Studio McGee, Shay McGee, we're talking about you. Amber Lewis of Amber Lewis Interiors, Jacqueline Clark of Larkin Linen. So they're not going to talk to me if nobody's listening and they're not going to talk to me if nobody's subscribed and I don't have an active listener base. So do me a favor, subscribe, listen, and if you're being a real pal this week, leave me a review and I will share it on the podcast next week. Anyways, guys, that's all I got for now. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you later. Bye, homies. Oh. Oh. But I don't see me either. I only see you. <laughs> you know what? We're not even going to worry about it. All right. Because, but I am going to turn my video off because that feels awkward otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> all good.